Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, weary listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, thank you for trying something new. I'll just reiterate, Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists. In fact, I'm going to ask Ben to plug a couple of publications that he's written for in the past short while. Go for it, Ben. You can find my work at Inside Hook, at Haggerty, and at Driving Line. And you can find my work at autotrader.ca, as well as Nouveau Magazine. Ben, today we're going to talk about Cars of the Year, and specifically Cars of the Year that probably should not have won Car of the Year, right? So, Car of the Year is a surprisingly political process. Uh, as I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure it surprises no one. But um, they're the only company that's been offering a Car of the Year for almost 60 years is Motor Trend. Uh, car and Driver's been doing 10 Best for four decades, I think. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, there's there's other awards that are younger than that. So if you if you make six years, sorry, six decades of decisions, Sammy, I'm willing to bet that some of those decisions in hindsight don't look as good as they once did. Honestly, in the time of my short life, I've made plenty of awful decisions. Probably but, just even during this season of the podcast, some yeah. choices you've made have been questionable, is a word I would <laughs> yeah. maybe use. For sure. I think that's the best way to put it, and would not have uh, measured up next year, I guess. <laughs> so uh, with that being said... It's kind of interesting to look back at choices that were made in the past that, from our current perspective, don't look great. Mm-hmm. But if you examine the the environment in which they were made, they make a lot more sense. Okay, so let's get an example of that. I mean, one of the cars that were that were given the Car of the Year award by Motor Trend is the 1971 um, Chevrolet Vega. Yes. So this was early 70s was when Detroit finally realized that things, the party was about to stop, the music was about to end, and you'd have to get off the merry-go-round of big blocks and huge horsepower and not caring about fuel economy. Okay. So they were completely and entirely unprepared for that. And that was kind of, there's a double whammy at the same time. So maybe in 72, 73, the EPA... Or by by the mid seventies, in any case, the EPA had started to require emissions controls on engines, which they were even less prepared for. So mm-hmm. there was kind of this calm before the storm in the early seventies, where they were like, "We need some small cars that aren't terrible, but they have to be fuel efficient, and we don't know how to do that." Right. And the Vega was one of those. The Vega was one of those, and you know, the Vega <laughs> was not entirely. I love that. It, yep, it was a car that was not <laughs> super thirsty. Well, it was not entirely terrible. I mean, there were always been some pretty good, like, straight six and slant six um, uh, options from Detroit. But they were not necessarily frugal. I mean, they were more frugal than a V8, which is kind of a, a low bar. <laughs> but uh, the Vega was was an attempt to make an actual small car that wasn't just a smaller version of something they already had. And uh, in 1971, it was it was pretty decent when okay. you drove it for the first time. I mean, right. the problem with the Vega was it was casually assembled at best. <laughs> it was one of those cars where they were just like, okay, throw it together, put it on sale, and we're not making any profit on it anyway, so who cares? Right. And they made this weird engine for it. It was like an alloy weird. Right, I've heard about this, the alloy engine. What is the story here on this alloy? Uh, from what I remember, it was like a weird kind of aluminum slash um, 
steel contraption where like it was a time when Detroit would put different metals together without realizing that when you did that, they would react to each other. And mm-hmm. when they reacted to each other, you'd end up losing seals and stuff like that. Oh, they so would you've just, got a self disintegrating. Well, it and- was just they, they would the metals would move. And mm-hmm. it, that's the, that's like the really, really like high end <laughs> explanation of how that works. So um, that became a problem over time. So in in retrospect, the Vega became terrible. They sold a lot of them. People bought them. And uh, then they were just – it was it was kind of like a betrayal from GM because they were told, well, here's this, this fun and not bad-looking compact car that shouldn't cause you any problems. We know what we're doing. And, and that turned out not to be the case. I mean in 71, the car – to win car of the year, you had to be brand new for 71, Sammy. So right. you had the AMC Matador. You had another small car that kind of sucked, the Pinto. And uh, you had some European cars like the Pantera and the Mercedes SL that were available in Europe but didn't really get to North America until the year later. So that's kind of like that. Yeah, that's why the Vega, it took center stage and it's it's unfortunate for, for that result. And in hindsight, it's like this was not even close to the best car of 1971. Well, what what it points out is how us as journalists, our experience with cars is very different from people who actually buy them and live with them every day. Right. That's true. I mean, we've always said that, too, right? You know, we always complain about certain ergonomics in a vehicle. Um, but more more often than not, the people who buy the car will get used to the placement of, uh, of controls or how infotainment systems are laid out. So I always talk about, you know, that that isn't as big of a factor um, because people get used to that sort of stuff. Well, but all, if the, we also don't get to test the reliability or the longevity or the durability of certain cars... Um, we get them for a week or less and are expected to make a to tell people about whether or not they should buy that car or not. Exactly. And, and that's totally what, fair all the time. That's what happened with the Vega. I mean, over time, it proved itself to be a lemon. But at the time, there was no way to know that. It was sweet, like lemonade. Um, the second car on uh, on our list here is the Mustang 2 from 1974. Yeah. So the Mustang 2 is kind of interesting, Sammy, because it's not a bad car. It's not? No, uh, the Mustang II was Ford's version of a thrifty kind of smaller car. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mentioned they had the Pinto, but this was kind of like a little bit more upscale than the Pinto. Again, very low bar. A little bit, yes. <laughs> but uh, but in the climate, of, there's, the, the Mustang II is a car that's been completely a victim of revisionist history. Right. And I want to I explain what that means. Uh, in, in the mid-70s, the Mustang had only been around for less than a decade. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, today we talk about the heritage of the Ford Mustang. We talk about pony cars and muscle cars and all this stuff and classic styling. But if you were to say that kind of stuff in the mid-70s, people would kind of look at you like you're crazy. Because it's like it was just another car came around at the right time. It was very popular. But time moves on, right? So mm-hmm. when they made the Mustang too, it, it didn't look very much like a Mustang. It, it, it was a little bloated, and it was more, you know, daily driver focused. It was not interested in performance whatsoever. Even like the King Cobra version that they tried to make had a really choked motor. It was a, a victim of emissions, like every other car of the era. But okay. people didn't care, Sammy. People <laughs> didn't care. Most of the, when it first came out, it didn't even have a V8 available. Just four cylinder and six cylinder engines because it was aimed at commuters. And for that job, it did a it, it 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 did the the job that it was needed. It was a mainstream two door vehicle. Back exactly. In the, in the day, right. Exactly. So, um, and and it was relatively thrifty. 
It was actually thrifty. So people liked it. It was a good car for the time. It wins the award. Everyone's happy. Flash forward to like now, and we look Mm -hmm. back at the the Mustang 2 as an example of kind of the Malays era of styling there. It's not quite as um, attractive. (laughs) It hasn't held up in the same way as more classic styling from the 60s and early 70s has. So we're like, oh, why would it? It it was actually kind of based on the Pinto's platform too. So people are like, why would anyone have wanted this car? Why did it get all these accolades? It's it's an interesting um, example of you know a car taken entirely out of context and judged in a mod- from a modern viewpoint. Well, I mean, in that case, it should have won Car of the Year that that yes. year. What else was up against it in 1974? What would have been um, a worthy competitor if if such a thing existed? Oh, that I can't tell you. That's a oh, good question. No. I don't know what exactly was re- brand new right in 1974. I love I- this. I love the whole, like, the aspect of the Mustang 2, because the next car was not called the Mustang 3, and we've never heard the phrase Mustang 2 again. Um, that kind of, like, that passed away. Like, they they stopped mentioning it again. Yeah, that, and nomenclature, now we have... that nomenclature kind of died. There were some cars in the 60s. There was a Chevy 2, I think, which was a version of the Nova, I want to say. It was uh, just called the Chevy 2? Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> awful. And then they, they just stopped doing that. Like, I, I, I mean, would you buy a Taurus 2? <laughs> I don't think would so. Would you buy an MR2? Well, no, we just have cars that are names. Like, that's it. I mean, letter, numbers. We just have cars that's that true. are numbers. Just that's two, true. That's true. Now we've reached 911 now. No, I'm just joking. But Wow, that's that's a good one. Uh, <laughs> you're so mean. Okay, let's go on to 1980. Here's a wonderful car. You're going to love this, Ben. The 1980 Chevrolet Citation. Yeah, Ooh, so I've written... This ex- is definitely <laughs> worthy of car of the year, this thing. So, this is the X-Body, right? It is the X-Body, and I've written extensively about how awful these cars were. Uh, yes. But what's interesting about the X-Body winning for 1980 is this is one of the perfect examples of a combination industry snow job and people buying into the hype of what a car was going to be or supposed to be rather than what it was. And this is the first front-wheel drive compact car from GM. They built like some big full-size luxury cars in the late 60s, early 70s that were front-wheel drive. But they realized in the early 80s that, you know, to compete with the Japanese cars that were coming in, they needed to package things much more efficiently. They needed to be less expensive to build and um, they needed to be fuel fuel efficient. And front wheel drive was more fuel efficient than rear wheel drive. There's less drivetrain loss, blah, 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 blah. So they, they created this crash program for the X cars. And the Citation was one of them. There was the Buick Skyhawk. There was a Pontiac something, something awful. Just these cars like that, that um, they were going to be the future for GM. And they, right. they put a huge marketing push on them, and uh, they they really kind of whiffed on the execution because the Hold car. Up. What do you mean? A bajillion of these cars were sold. Yes, they? and that was the worst thing that could have happened to GM. Why? I'll explain why. The cars were not ready for prime time. They were not properly tested. They did not get the kind of testing that a modern car would get. You know, years of uh, noise, vibration, and harshness testing, drivetrain testing, et cetera, et cetera. These cars. It was the 80s. It wasn't the 80s, though. It was the 70s. Fine. (laughs) These cars were so bad that there would be lawsuits, multiple lawsuits. I think one from the federal government about the braking systems, for example. Uh, parts of the car that failed, the drivetrain, the transmissions, interiors that just came apart. They sold 800,000 of these in the first year. They sold a little bit less the second year. They kept selling them until almost the end of the 80s. And at that point, 
they had they had done so much damage to GM's reputation that they're responsible. This one platform is responsible for most of the market share that General Motors lost to the Japanese in that decade. That's really important um, to bring up because this was a front-wheel drive car. It's one of the first uh, small cars from General Motors to have a, a, a front-wheel drive setup. Is that right? Yes, as I, as yes. I mentioned earlier. Um, so this this was meant to showcase the – I mean it should have showcased the benefits of front-wheel drive. But instead it showcased the poor quality and uh, reliability and, and assembly process of GM rather than anything else. So that when the other automakers came in with front wheel drives that actually had strong um, advantages, they they looked like huge deals over this, right? Yeah, and, and they kind of improved the platform and they made a, a secondary platform, an evolution of the platform towards the end of the decade that wasn't terrible. But by then it was too late. They didn't, it wasn't called the Citation. It was a little bit bigger. Uh, cars like the Celebrity rode on that, rode on that platform. Uh, I owned a Celebrity. It was awful. But... Um, <laughs> It's just it's interesting that one vehicle, one platform, several vehicles, I guess, had such a huge impact on the future of a company. I mean, that was it for G. They never got that market share back. I think about that kind of that kind of thing often. There's so many cars that have made huge impacts on an automaker or have been billed as something bigger than they are just because of their future. I mean, I think in recent times, first of all, like say the minivan, which didn't seem like a well. I mean, first of all, that was a huge deal for what it was. Um, and nowadays we kind of look at it with disdain. We kind of look down on the minivan, um, as this uncool thing, but the fact that it was able to do so much with that body style, um, and efficiently in packaging, that was, that was great. Well, but it was, it we was like, never, it was never cool. I mean, it wasn't cool at the time. It was popular and good, but it, it wasn't cool, you know? Right. But, and it, and it started a whole trend of its own that I think was fairly successful. And then we have like other, am I mistaken in thinking, what are the name of those, um, K cars? No, not K cars. What are they called? Well, there they was had, the K car, which was a similar platform to the first minivan. Yeah. That's what I was thinking as well. You know, there's vehicles that have the potential to be something, um, excellent as long as they reach that potential. And then today we have cars, I would say like maybe the Chevrolet Volt might be something like that, where we were promised something really impressive. Um, and I'm not sure we get exactly what's delivered from it um, a couple of years down the line uh, or other platforms like that as well, where we're, we're, we're expecting something to be a huge revolution and it just, it just drops the ball. But can you think of a modern, a more modern car that destroyed its brand? A more modern car. Yeah, that so like the Citation destroyed General Motors for in the eighties. I mean, it unquestionably had a major impact on their bottom line that they never recovered from. I would say the Audi four thousand, five. Sorry, five thousand, four thousand. Really, one had the unintended acceleration issue that was not really true, but became a big media thing in the in the eighties. That almost destroyed Audi, and they had to swim upstream and um, fight popular perceptions of their brand to rebuild. Uh, but can you think of anything in the 90s or the 2000s that did that to a brand? I would say maybe the Hummer H2. Oh, true. Okay. I was, thinking, I was thinking along the lines of um, Mazda when they had all of those awful rust issues. And now people, when they think of Mazda, they're like, oh, that's, those are the cars that rusted so badly. But do you think that that has significantly impacted Mazda's popularity? I'm not sure because it was always a small brand, right? Yeah. Yeah, so it's hard. What it's else do you have on your mind? It's hard to say. I, I don't know. I mean, Acura, 
I, I don't. I don't think they, they don't had have a, an awful car. Well, no, I don't the think RSX. they had a. They didn't have a single car that really did them in. Although I would say that the RSX, in a sense, yeah, um, damaged the brand because it wasn't an Integra, right? And right. and it's not a car that anyone remembers fondly these days or has any kind of cachet. Uh, um, but uh, it's it's a bit of a stretch. I would think that maybe the Dodge Dart and Chevrolet two hundred. Those two cars Chrysler really two. Chrysler. Oh man, I messed that up badly. You're Chrysler thinking Chevy 200. two. That's your that's yeah. your new thing. <laughs> Chrysler two hundred, I think, maybe um, almost murdered a, ban- a brand. Now that's there's only possible. one other. There's only one other Chev- uh, Chrysler car, and that's a three hundred. That's and a good people, point. I think people forget about that sometimes. That's a really good point. I mean, it was it, it could have been a volume car for Chrysler, and it was just awful in so many ways. Well, and then by the no time they for people in it. well, by the time they made it unawful, it was too late. Yeah, that's a good point. I think that that's a great story uh, to bring up in future in future episodes. Okay, let's keep talking about these car of the year winners, though. So the last one I want to talk about is uh, the AMC Renault Alliance. So it's it's weird. Um, What's weird about this car is it's it's a completely ordinary car in every way. Like there's nothing interesting. It was a, it was a sedan. They made a convertible. Um, it was this. It was it existed because Renault kind of bought AMC to keep them from going bankrupt, and I think AMC had to use a certain number of Renault parts or platforms or something as part of the deal. So they brought over the Alliance, and it was a small car. Um, it it was okay at first. <laughs> But kind of like a few of the other cars on this list, uh, but build quality ultimately did it in, and oh, it, it it wouldn't it didn't get updated either. So it was a car that kind of was frozen in time. It, there were lawsuits, or not necessarily lawsuits, but huge warranty claims and lemon lawsuit stuff about the alliance. When Chrysler bought AMC in '87, four years later, they were still dealing with these lawsuits and warranty claims uh, that they inherited, basically, from okay. AMC. So it was a car that it's it's kind of puzzling as to why it won. I mean. In the same year, you had the Porsche 944, but by that point, Motor Trend had created an import category. Mm-hmm. Although, why the AMC Renault Alliance wasn't in the import category yeah, itself, well. <laughs> uh, I, I, it's kind of puzzling. Um, the Thunderbird was new, too. Uh, the Turbo Coupe was available. Um, it was a cool car. It would eventually win, I think, mm-hmm. when it was the Super Coupe. When I went to the supercharged version, but it didn't win this year. So there were some other interesting stuff available at the time. But I think it was just a case of it was a boring car. People were excited that AMC wasn't bankrupt and they didn't know how terrible the build quality was at the time. So it seems like many of these many of these cars, they first of all, they hint at exactly what you mentioned earlier, which is auto uh, journalists or reviewers. They only have vehicles for a very short period of time and they cannot predict the long term reliability or durability of these vehicles and can sometimes give them awards. I know a lot of people think that, oh, you know, the automakers pay for these awards. But in my experience, it's never been the case. Um, but it could be the fact that a car can leave such a strong first impression to lead them to win an award, and uh, that award can be proven later on to be completely unjustified. There are a lot of cars that I'm worried about might follow this trend. Something like the, like, I think Alfa Romeo has won some Car of the Year awards recently with the Giulia, um, 
I don't know if that can be justified, for example, right? For me, it's the it's the Volkswagen Passat, which one in Oh my god, what a piece of junk! Sorry. It, it won in twenty twelve, right? And and it's not a terrible car. It's not great. There's 30, so many good cars in twenty twelve. Thirty years from now, no one is going to care about that car. Absolutely yeah. no one. It will be as uninteresting as the Alliance. No question. I mean, it, it's not it, It's not even. Uh, an instance of it being a bad car or reliability related. I mean, we're eight years away from it now. We know that they're not great for reliability, but they're not, they're not lemons, but it's not, it's not a car anyone would desire, you know? Um, So it it, was it the car of the moment in 2012. I find that hard to believe. (laughs) I think about the recent Honda Civic too. You know, remember when you remember when they had the, they have the 1.5 turbo um, and that has had some pretty well-documented issues in terms of, oil consumption and oil dilution and that has caused a lot of people to be really wary of of what honda has for um for quality assurance nowadays right yeah well, uh, I and mean, that it's, might that it's also might... their first production turbo engine right so you know you don't get it right Didn't the they first have time. one in the rdx as well i mean if you want to talk acura and uh, honda. yeah maybe all right <laughs> okay um what else? What else was an interesting car of the year winner? I also think about cars that like will be forgotten. Probably, um, I know a lot of people pick the 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 Toyota and Subaru Twins as cars of the year when they came out. Great cars, fun to drive. I own one, but I think they're going to be forgotten. When did when did they come out? When, 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 when what model? Twenty twelve. So the Passat beat them. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so that makes no sense to me. <laughs> right. I mean, if 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 you're thinking of significant cars, I I just don't see how that matches up. Right. Um. I and of course, there's like other cars. Like I think I don't know what will be car of the year this year, but I'm sure that uh, vehicles like the like the C8 Corvette will get a lot of um, push near the end of the year, so that people will 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 try them and say declare them as car of the year. Didn't it already win car of the year? It's Did it win car of the year? 2020. I don't know. Oh man, I don't know. I mean, you're uh, you're on the World Car Jury, right? Shouldn't you know this stuff? It did not win Car of the Year for the World Car Jury. Why not? I don't think we had to test. We had to test it. Wow. Also, like I remember, actually, this is an interesting one talking about Car of the Year uh, or World Car of the Year. Um, the World Car of the Year, uh, World Green Car of the Year, was the, I think it was the I Pace, and the I Pace is a pretty pretty good car. But quality uh, tech, actually, electric issues can really detract from the the ownership experience with that thing. I've heard about the the door handles not popping out, the range being really inconsistent or not charging properly, um, and that is a serious concern when when we're talking about that kind of car as well. Um, it's interesting that you mentioned the I Pace. Um, uh, I was talking to the designer of the I Pace, uh, Ian mm-hmm. Callum, and when when it first came out, and one thing that he told me that has always stuck in my mind was he was trading his company F-Type for an I-Pace to use as his commuter car in Scotland. And apparently, like, the range for the car and the amount of distance he had to drive every day was almost exactly the same. <laughs> and he, I remember him telling me that he wasn't sure <laughs> how, that was, how that was going to work out. And uh, um, a bit of a dice roll for, for Callum's part. Right. Um, so let's, uh, actually, I want to talk a little bit more about, cause I, I've been a part of the auto guide car of the year, um, the auto trader car of the year and Humble world brag. car of the year, world car of the year. Um, and there are, there's always going to be weird, um, 
like whiffs or however you want to describe it. This year, the car of the year for, for World Card is the Telluride, and I think that's a pretty solid choice. Yes. Um, but I think we'll have to see down the line whether or not Kia's – it's a, it's a first-year, all-new vehicle, brand-new platform – uh, everything is new about this kind of car, and it'll be interesting to see how that measures up down the line, right? Yes. I mean, I don't foresee any big problems because it's I don't pretty think simple. There's not any, yeah, right. there's not a big technology technology reach going on in that vehicle, but uh, we've already heard issues with the Telluride regarding its windshield, right? I can't remember this windshield story. Yeah, so windshields crack, crack all break. the time. Yeah. They don't know why. <laughs> So you get you, you, you the windshield cracks. You go to the dealer. You get a new windshield. Rinse, repeat. Like it's a, it's a similar <laughs> yeah. problem again and again. So that's a little weird, right? Um, and then um, luxury car and, and performance car and green car. Sorry, luxury car and maybe it was green car. Luxury car and performance car was both won by the by the Porsche Taycan, which is a vehicle we've had extremely limited time test driving in and i'm 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 a little conscious of that i wonder how long it'll be until we think or maybe they drop the ball on a certain aspect of it uh i've always i've already mentioned i think the ergonomics inside the vehicle are are not very good it has a lot of touch screens and it makes it a little bit of a headache to drive um but if you get used to that sort of stuff you'll probably enjoy it i think the tycon is an example of a car that wins an award based on wow factor it's Mm -hmm. it's just so different from everything else it's up against and it represents uh, again. Uh, we saw some cars here that were w- awarded, uh, like the the Citation, for sure was awarded based on potential. So I think Taycan is really uh, an example of that. Although it's not bad in any way right now in this moment, like you said, we just don't know how it's going to age, and we're more excited about what it means than what it is. And one more car that has an award, and then we'll transition to the next story uh, or the next uh, subject here, is the Mazda 3, which at World Car won uh, World Car Design of the Year. And I think other company, or other publications have given it um, a Car of the Year award as well. And I will say this is not – to me, this is not – neither award is, is, is particularly warranted. I do not like the design of the new Mazda 3. It's slightly better as a sedan than as a, than as a hatch. The hatch has this ginormous – um c pillar which is really uncomfortable and there's almost no line from the vehicle and they try to make up for that with fancy paint finishes and maybe this is another example of a car that came out at a time like the vega i'm not saying it's bad like the vega but i'm saying there were just no other choices right and then as a compact car there's it's not very like it's not super practical not very much space in the back they changed the infotainment system and and they changed the the rear suspension setup, so they took away everything that kind of made the Mazda three fantastic in the first place. So um, another another thing I want to talk about this week was that you know you're probably as bummed as I am that a bunch of your favorite events have been canceled, and maybe you can't go to your favorite restaurant or do some of the fun things that you used to do um during summer and i know first of all you living in montreal is so full of so many wicked things to do i'm um, i'm honestly more bummed that i own three cars and none of those cars currently function and i will i was supposed to go to a track event this weekend and i'm going to end up driving my dad's mustang with him we're sharing the car because uh the afm the air fuel uh, monitor in my Datsun's primitive fuel injection system died. It, it snapped oh. inside. There's like a, a wheel and some gears and some resistors and and there's a counterweight and it came loose and it was like a wrecking ball. So I, I can get one that might work, but I won't get it in time. And uh, I had the fuel pump die twice in the span of a week. So 
It's been uh, it's been a very bad spring for me in terms of cars being ready. I'm still waiting for the Jeep project to be done, and my Cadillac has an ECU issue. I only recently found a shop that would look at it that's not a dealer because I hate going to the dealer for these kinds of things. Right. So, uh, needless to say, I've been walking. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, and I, I know the press fleets are open again, so I'm not walking as much. But uh, it was just as a car person, and this is going to sound stupid, but I when my cars are not functional – I feel lesser than. I feel like things are not going well in my life and that I need to fix these problems immediately, even if it's not necessary. And so I've been under that mindset the whole time. So my my whole enjoying summer with cars thing has been fallen under the shadow of just everything's broken. Well, first of all, I agree with you. When your cars are not working, you feel less than. That's because, first of all, you've got a couple of them. Um, we've I've got uh, two in my household. And yeah, if one is not working so well, I feel I feel awful because... You spend a lot of time, you spend a lot of money, um, and they become a little bit of your identity when you're out on the when you're out on the road, right? Like when that thing isn't working, you don't feel like you're. Sometimes it feels like you're not complete. I don't know. And, I, no, I, I agree. And there's the other thing too. It's like I'm supposed to be someone who's into cars, right? <laughs> and I'm supposed to have cars are supposed to be important to me, and yet none of mine work. Like <laughs> that's like okay. that's that's absurd. Honestly, no, that's and it's, not your it's, fault. I spend so much money on cars, <laughs> yeah. and I don't have a single functioning automobile. That is idiotic. I am well, an idiot. <laughs> that's not true. That's not true. Stop it. I hate that. You know, you should be into cars. Why aren't you in a cool car right now? No, thing? it's like, not I'm even not... a question of a cool car. It's a question of any car at all. <laughs> Okay, well, I wanted to talk about uh, things we can do in our cars that is not driving fast and or, and uh, going to the back road country because, or the the country back road or turning the because, key and having the engine fire. Right, that's I mean, that, all you, even man. something as simple as that would be nice in my life. In in my area, they have started reopening um, the mo- the drive in movie theaters and uh, a couple of campgrounds, and I know a lot of people enjoy um, car camping. I was wondering if there's things that you used to do or do with your car that is not necessarily um, driving that you enjoy doing. No. No. You're just a hardcore, yeah, I only like driving the car. Well, what what do you mean, like, what else? I used to enjoy detailing my cars, but... There you um, go. You, I became too obsessive about it, and... And then, then you I find had all a, of the issues with it? Yeah, every time, you, every time I wash my car, I find everything that's wrong with the finish. <laughs> but other than... I, I had a flood uh, about eight years ago, and I lost all of my detailing gear, so, like, my porter cable and um, mm. all, all my... Pol- a lot of my polishes and stuff, they all they all got damaged and destroyed. And I never bought them again. And And I just don't have time to to spend on my cars like that like i wash the datsun once a year it's covered in rubber right now it looks it looks beat man it looks like it's anyway um and that's just that's kind of the aesthetic i've adopted the the jeep has like it doesn't even have clear coat like it was an era before clear coat because amc right so uh it's got this like nice patina of 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 sunburn on the brown paint so I don't even bother doing anything with it. Like <laughs> I'm into I that. I can't believe you. I've shifted my lifestyle to reflect my reality. I guess is right. what I'm saying. So yeah, I used to enjoy washing my cars. I was obsessive, you know, drop the mitt, throw it out kind of deal. But now it's just like, eh, maybe it will rain. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What about um, beyond detailing? Have you ever gone to the drive-in movie theater? 
Uh, yeah, when I was a kid, we went all the time with my parents. And, uh, and what do you, we, what do you we think were in station wagons, and we would play in the back and fall asleep, and my parents would watch whatever the second movie was. I mean, I have fond memories of it from as a child. I can't tell you a single movie I've seen at the drive-in as a kid, but the most recent time I went was probably like 2003 or 2004 here in Montreal. I okay. saw a a double feature. I only remember it was like the third Matrix movie, which oh. was awful. Why? Um, yeah. I don't remember what car I was in. I was with the girl I was dating at the time, and it, yeah, I never went back. So, I uh, the drive-in movie theaters are okay. I love the the value for a drive-in movie theater. I always think that it's a pretty good deal if you go there. You end up paying like what twenty bucks, and you watch two movies. But it's they're um, all like late run. They're they're late run movies, right? Like that's that's how it works. Yeah. But then one of the problems I have with the movies is that the audio it plays through your like the FM radio, and I don't think that. You know, it's just not the same ambiance of being in a movie theater or a home theater. Are you sometimes. saying that the surround sound in your car yeah, isn't good it's enough? Awful. After it's, it's been awful. compressed through an <laughs> FM signal chain. Yeah. So that's my only downside to that sort of stuff. I think it's great value. It's fun. It's you know the comfort of your own car. You're away from other people. You could say whatever witty jokes you want to say during the you movie know, without anyone uh, giving you a nasty look. That I happens wa- to me a lot. I, I want to tell you about this cool way to watch movies. Um, that has all the things you just mentioned and more. It's uh, you're not near other people. Uh, you get a full digital audio stream. Um, you get to sit on your own couch. Uh, you get to watch whatever you want. And pricing is very competitive. It's it's called home theater. And yeah, my, uh, my TV at home is small. I live in a I live in a tiny condo in downtown Toronto. I cannot get a TV bigger than. I guess 22 inches. I'm basically using a, t- a, a computer monitor here. I don't believe you for a second. <laughs> but I just want to point out something called perspective. And that, that screen might be big at the movie the- at the drive-in, but you're not sitting directly in front of it like you are at your own house. <laughs> Says you. I'm not okay, asking fine. you to watch a postage stamp from across the room. What about enjoying the beautiful views of nature? Have you ever gone uh, – like I've actually gone to – we have a dark sky reserve um, outside of town where there's no light pollution and I've gone – Dark sky um, reserve sounds like a place where you go and an alien race hunts you. Yeah. That didn't happen this time. But okay. we went over there in a pickup truck and we laid in the back of the, of, the, of the bed and we watched the stars. We watched them shooting stars. It was really cool. Have you ever done something like that before? Yeah, I used to go to watch meteor showers. Uh, obviously, you have to leave the city, right? Because of light pollution. Yeah. But I never laid like in the back of a truck because trucks are uncomfortable. I mean, you have their you have corrugated have pillows beds. Pillows and blankets and stuff. Pillows and blankets. Wow. This is pretty fancy. Uh, not everyone has your resources, Sammy. <laughs> Uh, so we would just sit on the ground or stand, I guess, um, or bring out a chair. I don't know. (laughs) And okay. What about, um, what about, have you ever gone tailgating to a, to a sporting event and done the little tailgate thing um, in the parking lot? I guess so. I don't, I mean, so for NASCAR, we have a very elaborate tailgating setup, like, Hmm. it has a tent and two or three stoves and a bunch of tables and two wheels. Um, it all fits in the back of a pickup. I, I once slept overnight in a cornfield in my pickup truck in the front seat, in a bucket seat, uh, single cab, so you can't, you couldn't tilt it back with my best friend um, beside me uh, because we were driving to Ohio and we've been driving for 20 and a half hours and hadn't <laughs> slept. So we pulled into this corn and passed out. Is that car camping? Yeah, that's car camping, essentially. Uh, yeah. I think that counts. I can't recommend that. I mean, don't, <laughs> don't. 
I, I'm still probably paying for that in terms of vertebrae. Oh. Um, I've had better car camping experiences in my Outback that, you know, you fold down the rear seats and you end up, you can fit a, a, an air mattress or a foam mattress in there, a foam pad. You can end up sleeping pretty comfortably back there. It's nice. Um, what else? There was something else that I was going to say. Honestly, in terms of things you can do with a vehicle, uh, I would say that pickup trucks um, and SUVs really excel in this regard. I absolutely love using them for things other than, you know, for their intended purposes. I love, like, helping people move or um, I usually, every time I have a pickup truck, I take it over to my parents' place and pretty much clear out their attic or their garage or their How does their basement. attic keep filling up over and over so I have the no point idea. you have to go back semi-regularly? <laughs> they refuse, I mean, my parents refuse to throw things out or they don't know the, the, time to, the time of the week when they're supposed to throw out big things. So I usually offer to help out with that kind of stuff, the recycling of that. So you're so enabling I, your parents' hoarding is what you're saying. <laughs> Yeah, guess I'm, but I'm helping them stay healthy and safe at home. Okay. So, I mean, I think there's, there is a lot of things that uh, you can do. A lot of people are, are hoping that drive-in concerts become a thing this summer, which sounds interesting in the same way that listening to your movies through the speakers might be. Um, yeah, there's nothing okay with like that. trying to leave a, a concert with 3,000 drunk and high people trying to do the same thing at the same time from behind the wheel. That's That sounds outstanding. And then uh, instead of clapping, you'll be flashing your headlights or honking your horn. There's going to be some dude who's honking the entire time. You know the guy who's like always going, woo, like the whole time, the whole show? It's yeah. going to be that guy with a horn. This is Someone's going to be murdered at one of these concerts <laughs> because they're, they're not incapable of being a normal human being. One of my favorite things in going to a concert is going with other people or seeing other people that you you know there. And now we won't be able to do that because, you know, you'll just roll up the windows and be like, I don't know that guy. <laughs> it's, it's the merch. I'm all about the merch. Oh, yeah. How are you going to – is there a drive through merch table? I don't know. Can we make that happen? We should build – or, like- or there's like a merch drone. It just drops – drone drops <laughs> yeah. the merch through your sunroof. That'd be great. Why are we not capitalizing on this? Can we call dibs on that, dear listeners? Don't steal our ideas. Dear listeners, uh, don't become a concert promoter. I did that, and it will destroy your life. <laughs> but there's other things going on. There's like a, a drive-in art show. There was a drive-through tulip picking um, going on. That there's, doesn't there's... sound real. That is absurd. Drive-in <laughs> tulip picking sounds like something invented for a Disney movie in the 60s. Yes, it does. Um, what about drive-in um, restaurants where they bring your plate to your te- to your car? No, you know. So my issue with drive-ins, I don't use them because and, and this is drive-throughs. Drive, yeah, drive-throughs. This is going to yeah. be an unpopular opinion, but I think they're really wasteful. I don't see any need for me to be sitting in my car with the engine idling while I wait in line to order food, and then while I wait for the food itself, and then while I wait for someone to bring it to the window. I could just go inside and get that food and not, you know, release all those carbon um, emissions into the atmosphere. I've kind of always felt this way, and I've the last time I used a drive-in was recently because of COVID and because it's mm-hmm. often the only way to get food, and I realized how long it had been. So. I understand the the absolute need to do it now, I guess, but yeah. in general, I'm not a fan. Okay, well, first of all, modern cars have um, engine start stop, so you're not idling um, oh, well, as much. Fancy? Does your car have it? No, of course not. Neither do any of, none of my cars. Have. You know what my <laughs> cars have? My cars all have they- automatic <laughs> engine stop and just not start again until Benjamin spends tens of thousands of dollars to bring them back to life. We're going to have an unnamed no-cards podcast, I guess, next. Wow. Um, 
anyways, there's a lot of there's, there's some interesting options out there for people. Um, I'm looking forward to hearing what people are doing in their cars. Uh, so long as you are not uh, you're not being vulgar when you let us know, uh, please message us, email us, or send us a message on the website. You can come to our website unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. When you're there, there's a contact form. You fill it out, and it lands on our inbox. Additionally, you can find Ben and I on social media. I'm on Twitter, at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. And Ben, you can find him on Instagram. He's at Hunting Benjamin. And Additionally, if- you can email Ben the old-fashioned way. He's Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. And you can go to unnamedautomotivepodcast.com, listen to all of our old episodes, listen to our new episodes, subscribe to us on every one of your favorite podcatcher services, including Spotify, Sammy? Yep, Spotify. And Spotify. Uh, Google Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts and all that fun stuff. And next week, I think we're actually going to talk about some cars we've tested recently. Yeah, so so we were going to talk about them this week, but we ended up getting them later than, than – uh, than planned or just haven't necessarily had the amount of time we wanted behind the wheel to be able to talk about them. So next yeah. week, I'm going to be talking again, uh, as I said last week, about the Ram EcoDiesel Rebel, which I'm excited. I'm, I actually have a road trip in it because now I'm driving to the track in a pickup instead of in my Datsun. So I'm going to have a lot of time behind the wheel to kind of figure out what's good and what's not. Very cool. And I've got a Porsche 911. Uh, it's a Carrera 4S. So and you know what? This one's got a pretty interesting uh, interior, something that I was not expecting from a 911. I can't wait to tell you about it. All right. So thanks again for listening, everybody. Take care.